You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth, in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But being this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off, you've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? How was your Halloween? Oh, it was pretty good. Um, I didn't uh, didn't really do a whole lot. I think I was actually streaming because I think it fell on a Wednesday. So yeah, yeah, it fell on a Wednesday last week. And uh, did you did you play something that was uh, horror based? Um, n- you know, I don't. I don't think I did. I think I was streaming. Um, I think I was streaming Ark. I have no idea what that is. So Ark is, uh, it's a survival game, um, but uh, it's a survival game that also happens to have like dinosaur taming and stuff like that. So you can get different dinosaurs and you can train them up or you can, you know, have them fight for you or harvest resources, uh, that kind of thing. And then of course they have, you know, uh, player versus player stuff, but I'm on a, I'm playing on a private server. So it's a strictly player versus environment, so there's no uh, PvP or anything like that. So, do you not try and tailor your uh, your stream towards holidays at all? Um, I mean, I definitely did some. Uh, I definitely did some horror stuff. I played uh, Dead Space Three cooperatively with another fellow streamer, and um, I think last year we did. Last October we did um, Until Dawn, so I mean, like, and and we did some of the original Dead Space. So I kind of do, but uh, you know, we I had just gotten back from uh, TwitchCon and things like that, so uh, I didn't, I wasn't really feeling up to playing a, a horror game per se. So I, uh, I, I think I'm trying to remember if that is what I did. Um, Gosh, like that's horrible memory on my part. Um, pretty sure that that's what I was playing, but I could be mistaken. So TwitchCon, why don't you talk to me about that? I, I mean, I know, like, kinda of it. I know of cons. I've, I've done a lot myself, but I don't know anything about TwitchCon. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I it's really not a whole lot different, um, you know, than like comic-con or whatever i guess the the biggest difference would be that you know san diego comic-con is well the san diego comic-con and then i think the uh was it called phoenix fan fest or they had to change the name because it used to be phoenix comic-con but then they had to change the name um yeah so i mean i've been to those and those are kind of realistically more uh just a like a pop culture convention they're not really a comic book convention anymore and, uh, you know, I guess that's kind of the major difference is TwitchCon is is very, very heavily focused on Twitch and all things Twitch related. So like, you know, Twitch streaming and things like that. So they, you know, they they still have like Artist Alley, which the artists that are there are people that have tons of different arts, everything from like paintings to, um, you know, like little collectible pens or, you know, just all sorts of things. They also have uh, like a, 
a meet and greet area where there's uh, some very like large streamers that are there that uh, people can go and meet and get photos with and do that kind of sort of thing. And then, you know, the, the whole like exhibit hall is, is kind of almost more, it felt more like uh, NAB, which is like the national uh, broadcasters uh, convention that uh, happens. It felt a little bit more like that. It felt more like a trade show in the exhibit hall than, than like the San Diego Comic-Con did when I went to that. And I don't know, it's it's really difficult for me because like I'm not a, a very big convention person. Like I'm not a big fan of going to conventions just because I'm not, I don't know, I don't usually do very well in like really crowded, very loud environments. And so I guess kind of the benefit to TwitchCon is, is that it's obviously a lot more dialed in and focused. It's not really trying to encapsulate everything that's happening in pop culture per se. And so with that, the convention itself is just naturally a lot smaller. Um, so I got, you know, I got to see a couple of the uh, larger partnered streamers that uh, that I watch fairly regularly. I got to see them uh, kind of streaming in person. There's different like booths and things like that that are set up. And some of them are, you know, for different exhibitors or game developers or whatever. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. Uh, there's a, a ton of people, obviously, since it's a convention about streaming that are there streaming live the convention. And they have these crazy like backpacks that have these like shoulder mounted cameras that look kind of like, uh, you know, the Predator shoulder mounted uh, missile launcher type thing, <laughs> which was pretty, uh, pretty intriguing. But overall, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, I guess the trade off or, or not really the trade off, but the interesting thing is like their panels. So they have panels and stuff like that. But all of their panels, uh, I believe, I, I think it's all of them. If not, it's a, a very large majority of them are actually recorded uh, as they're being streamed live on Twitch. And so they're all archived. So you don't really have as much stress, uh, stress or pressure to actually make it into the panels because they're all going to be available. I think it's all of them. A, a huge portion of them at that very least is available on um, Twitch's Twitch channel through their video on demand. So you can actually go back and watch them all. So it doesn't have that like added thing where like, you know, Oh, well, you know, I'm, if I don't make it into this panel, I'm not going to know what's coming out from this movie until like another six months. Like you can pretty much go online almost immediately after it's over and just watch the the panel, which I, I have to say, I think is really, really nice because I, you know, from my experience with the San Diego Comic-Con when we went to that, uh, it has a significant amount of problems with people going to panels that they don't care about and then not being flushed out of the room. So like every single time, you know, a new panel starts, you have these people in there that maybe don't care about it. And it takes away from the people that really do care about it. It takes away from the panelists that are actually giving the information. And so like, that was kind of the good thing with TwitchCon is that like, the lines to get into the panels weren't horrible, because everyone knew that they could watch them later. And like, it kind of really made the crowds that were in there a lot more pertinent to what the panel was and the information that was going out. And then, um, they also, if I'm 
at least in the one I was in the first day, they cleared the room after it was over. Like they were like, okay, that's it. So they kind of like did kind of ease everyone out so that people would have a chance to get in there because you know, that's, that sucks. If you go to a convention and you're dropping a crap ton of money and then you're basically camping out to get into hall H at like, you know, midnight the night before, and then you still don't get in. It's like, that's kind of, kind of a, a, you know, kind of sucks. I think that, that happens but uh and that's not to say that that couldn't ever happen i guess i you know twitchcon i think is still relatively new and and fledgling in terms of conventions so i mean it could grow to a exponentially larger rate you know they did have some problems with like getting people their badges and getting them into the actual convention center on the first day but i feel like from what i've what i've heard from a lot of other people that had gone to some of their previous twitchcons the problem was more with the San Jose Convention Center because there's really kind of only one entrance, whereas I guess they did it in Long Beach the year prior to that. And I think that one had like four or five entrances. So people were able to like, you know, get in and out much, much smoother. And so I think that's just a byproduct of like, you know, trying to move the convention from center to center to center each year and not having like a designated like place that's locked in every year for for the convention to happen so i mean i don't know i don't know too much about twitch in general uh but from what it sounds like and what i gathered off of twitter i mean it's it's i mean obviously it's more i don't want to say fan base but it's all user based so i i imagine there's a lot of uh networking going on at a at twitchcon I mean, there, there is, you know, uh, there, there definitely is some, but the reality is, is that to me, at least it, it felt more like a trade show. Like a lot of the exhibit hall was like, uh, developers or, you know, vendors that were selling like, you know, chairs or desks or hardware or, you know, things like that. Um, there, there's definitely an amount of like community that goes there, you know, or, or Twitch viewers, I guess you could call them that, that go there to do kind of like meet and greets with um, some of the, the larger streamers. I think, I think it's more networking when you're, you're kind of like a smaller streamer, like you're kind of trying to um, make more connections and, and kind of like discover the ins and outs of like, how to talk to developers to maybe get involved in their, you know, partnered programs or their affiliate programs or whatever they have and, you know, things of that. But I mean, like a lot of it's just, you know, a lot of it was vendors like uh, Corsair was there, which they make like gaming peripherals. So like keyboards, mice, they make hardware and stuff for computers too. But so they had all that sort of stuff there. Uh, there's a lot of game developers. There was like an esports tournament too for what they, I, I think it was called the Doritos Bowl. And so they had some different people that were up there that were in teams that were playing, you know, um, the new Call of Duty Black Ops 4, and they were playing the Battle Royale mode for it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting because it's, it, it is fan-driven, but, but it's also not really fan-driven. Like, it's mostly, like, streamers that are going there to kind of, like, pursue like a business in type thing where they're trying to network with other streamers or they're trying to network with like developers or, you know, vendors and that sort of thing. Yeah. That's what I, uh, that's what I was trying to kind of picturing. So 
did you? What's something that uh, that was you know a highlight of your your trip for you? Um, well, I mean, I think the, from a, from a vendor standpoint, uh, the thing that probably blew me away the most was, uh, it's this thing called go XLR. Uh, it's parent company is a uh, TC Helion, which they make like, uh, microphones and things like that. But, uh, they kind of came out with this device, which is kind of like an all in one solution, um, for audio for streamers. And uh, the really cool thing about it is, is a lot of streamers, you know, typically use like, um, like the Blue Yeti. The Blue Yeti is probably one of the most widely used mics in, in just in general for computers, uh, because it's relatively inexpensive and it's it's good quality, you know, audio. But I think the other thing too is, as you kind of get like uh, into the quest for like better audio, you kind of start reverting back to maybe going to something that's a little bit more like traditional you know so like an xlr microphone with like a mixer and all this sort of stuff and so like basically what go xlr has done is they've created a component that will take you know and be a mixer uh but it will also be like a sound effects pedal too so like you can have all of these preset sound effects uh like for your voice and stuff so you can kind of change it to like really deep or like robotic or sound like you're on a telephone or whatever. And you can do all that, like at the push of the button. And then you can also go in and actually manually set your uh, audio mixer faders to your levels and then create a software based uh, profile, like for every single game you stream. Like, so for example, like we are talking about arc and every time I stream arc, like it's super loud and it's way louder than almost every other game I play. So like, for example, what I could do is I could go in, I could set that just right, you know, for all my levels for arc with my mic, you know, my inputs, all that sort of stuff, the game audio itself. And I can lock those in with a preset. And then when I launch that game, all I have to do is click on the preset and it has motorized faders. So it will actually manually by itself, move the faders to where they should be, uh, for for that preset, which I thought was just absolutely incredible because I mean, a lot of the like higher end audio stuff that I was kind of starting to look at because I've been having a lot of like issues with like uh, OBS and stuff like that, that 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 software just doesn't do a great job, in my opinion, of really showing you like what your audio that's going out to your viewers actually is and so i started kind of looking into like more of like an analog approach uh before i knew about this uh go xlr thing and uh i mean like priced all out i was like you know over a thousand dollars and so essentially now you can get this all-in-one solution basically for 400 bucks it's 399 so I'm definitely like to me that just blew me away. We actually got to play around with it. They had like microphones and headphones set up and all the software, and uh, it, it was just super intuitive, super easy to use. Uh, for those that do stream, uh, they'll probably get this analogy a little bit better. It almost felt like a, a stream deck, but for audio, uh, which just makes everything a lot more streamlined. It puts you know more. Um, flexibility and power in your hands and at your fingertip to really control like what your audio is doing for your viewers and i just i i to me that blew me away like it was really cool and uh getting to talk with them about it and everything was just really fascinating so um i'm definitely going to be picking one of those up at some point as well but it'd probably be a little bit down the road 
Well, I mean, that all sounds pretty pretty awesome. Maybe uh, next year uh, the rest of Geek Elite Radio will be coming along with you because, uh, I mean, I, we're trying to, to do more with our Twitch channel in general. Uh, I know we're going to be doing uh, a monthly poker game, so that will usually be streamed. We did it last month, and the next month will be on, or this month it will be on the 24th, right after Thanksgiving. So nice. there's that. Maybe some uh, tabletop games. We've been talking about that, so that'd be interesting. Is it? Uh, where was it at this year? It was at San Jose. Is it always in San Jose? No, they they move it year to year. So like I said earlier, like last year it was in, um, I think they, I think I said it was Long Beach last year, um, and I think they said it's been in San Diego. It's it's moved around. It's it's predominantly, as far as I know, only been on the uh, like West Coast. I don't think it's been on the East Coast at all yet. And there's a lot of people that are really, really hoping that they do kind of do an east coast one just because it's really difficult for people to travel like you know all the way across the country so um you know i don't know i think it's easier for twitch because obviously they're based you know on the on the west coast so i think it makes it a little bit easier for them to manage it and set it all up and do everything but uh it could eventually grow to the point that they end up doing something similar to like packs where they have like twitch west and twitch east or something like that like i don't know if they'll ever do that but uh it it probably wouldn't be a bad idea if, if it continues to just grow and grow and grow. I mean, that, I mean, uh, every cons are just kind of the thing that are in at the moment. Uh, there's a, there's a con every week of the, of the year, it seems like. So, uh, which kind of brings me to my next question. Uh, your TwitchCon was two weeks ago. Last weekend was uh, BlizzCon. Mm-hmm. Did you uh, happen to follow any of the news that came out of there? Um, not really. Uh, I know I heard some stuff where I guess they announced like a mobile version of uh, Diablo. Yeah, Diablo Immortal came was announced. Uh, I guess on stage. I once again, video games not my forte. Uh, I kind of count on you for that, but uh, but from what I gathered from the news coverage that. Uh, they announced uh, Diablo Immortal, a, a mobile game for Diablo, and it had very negative response from the audience. They literally booed the announcement. Booed the announcement. So, I mean, what what's your thoughts on that? Well, like I said, I wasn't really following it as it happened. Uh, I guess. From what I've heard uh, after the fact was they had, and I don't know how true any of this is. This is just kind of what someone was telling me about it. So this might be completely inaccurate. But uh, from kind of what I did hear, though, was that they made the announcement. And I guess what they were saying or people looked into it or whatever was they hired a different company to actually kind of make the game but then people were saying that they didn't really make a new game they actually just took one of their existing games and basically just reskinned it all to look like diablo basically from what i understand of the argument um and i guess that's why everybody kind of got really upset about it is because this other company was kind of known to to do that i guess um I, I don't know. For me, it's really difficult too because I'm not a big mobile, uh, like mobile gamer. 
I, I just don't really think that we've found a way to make, uh, for phones at least, you know, we just haven't really found a good way to make the inputs work. You know what I mean? Like even the touchscreen and having no like tactile feedback or anything like that, it just makes it really difficult to simulate any sort of like controller type thing, you know, because usually that's how you can tell what you're doing is by that feedback, whether it's from the key on the keyboard or, you know, moving your mouse or the joysticks or buttons on a controller, like those all have, you know, this kind of like physicality to it that you never get when you're using a mobile device uh, in terms of like your phone and stuff. Um, and so like, I don't know, from that standpoint, I've just never really personally found a mobile game that I, enjoyed playing for a very very long time you know i play some stuff like jetpack joy right here or there because that's kind of built specifically for touch screens and it works well um but when you get into stuff like diablo or some of these like larger games uh i know like i believe uh grand theft auto like some of the old grand theft autos had been like ported to like the iphone and stuff like that and i mean just trying to have that like on-screen virtual controller you know your hand ends up uh, ends up taking up a huge portion of the screen and then you're not really quite sure like if you're on the joystick or not so i don't know i've never really been huge into mobile gaming yet i maybe we'll eventually get down the road to where we can get the uh, input output type situation worked out but uh, as it is right now, I just personally am not a huge fan of it. And uh, I think the other big news was the a new character for Overwatch, if I understand correctly. Uh, I mean, definitely possible. Again, that's one of those games that uh, I don't know why. I just never got into it. I know it became a huge thing and, and uh, kind of a phenomenon, really. And people love it. It's big in like the esports world and all that sort of stuff. But I, I don't know. I just never got really into Overwatch for again for whatever reason. I, I don't. It's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the game. It just didn't really appeal to me per se. Okay, then fair enough. I, I, can't, I have nowhere to to say elsewise. I, I don't play any video games, so <laughs> there's that. But. What I did do in the past two weeks is I went and saw some movies. So nice. first thing I want to talk about is a movie that, surprise, surprise, I was not too happy with. Halloween. Now, this is <laughs> okay. uh, Danny McBride and David Gordon Green's uh, Halloween sequel. It's called Halloween, but it is the sequel to Halloween from 1978. And it is... Uh, the new sequel, direct sequel to the first Halloween that uh, erases all other Halloweens after the first movie, if that makes any sense. Uh, which, also, I mean, it did well It did well in the box office. Uh, critically, it did well as well. Um, so we're definitely going to get a sequel, which makes me think, you know, what are they going to call that one? Because they can't call it Halloween 2, since this one's technically Halloween 2. I assume it's going to be Halloween and then a some type of subtitle. I had recently watched uh, the original 1978 Halloween before going to see uh, this new Halloween. And uh, I did it for a, uh, a podcast that I listened to. Um, they had invited me on. Uh, let's rewatch if anybody loves to listen to... Uh, 
movie reviews of older movies, usually something that's 15 to 20 years old. Obviously, they did Halloween, so that's 30 years old. No, 40 years old. Wow. Um, so give them a chance. You can find them on, on uh, uh, Twitter under at Let's We Watch. But uh, I, watched, I watched it with them, and uh, we talked about it. So I don't know if it did a disservice for me going into watching the new Halloween after watching the the original so close because in the new movie there are so many shot for shot like remakes or I guess reshoots I don't, uh, I don't know exactly how to say it but it's just it's it, there's a lot of the movie that's it's just taken straight from the first movie and if I hadn't had just watched the, the original movie, I would I would probably be there and be like, oh, those are homages and stuff like that. But to, but having it so fresh in my memory, it felt it felt contrived. It just felt like lazy. It felt uh, uninspired. So I had a real hard time with the way that they were portraying the character of Laurie Stroud, which was it's awesome that you know you got Jamie Lee Curtis to come back and play the character again. But, uh, like, the way that they had her play her character, it seemed to not really make sense to me. Like, I get the PTSD version of her, and sure, she lived through a very traumatic thing when she was 18 years old, and that shit's probably going to haunt her for the rest of her life. But, like, some of the decisions that they made character-wise just did not sit with me. And then... Uh, you know, some of the, a lot of this, the decisions made by all the side characters, it's just, it does not make sense. They have these two podcasters who essentially start the movie and their podcast is, I mean, it's blatantly like serial or, you know, one of the many real true crime murder podcasts that are out there right now. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they go to the mental, prison what are those called uh psychiatric prison uh it's i mean i don't know if they call them insane asylums anymore but yeah essentially an insane asylum where uh you know michael myers is being held um for his crimes that he committed in 1978 and this podcaster is Essentially, he he got a hold of the the mask that he that Michael Myers wore in 1978, even though it should be locked up in a, uh, I would assume an evidence locker somewhere, and he's holding it like within the 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 amount of space that he's supposed to be, and he's trying to evoke Michael Myers to talk because the whole time he's been in prison, he hasn't said a word, not that he can. And the doctor makes it a point to be like he can speak, he just chooses not to. And I mean, it's just like little things like that. They drop and it's just like, it doesn't make any sense. And I don't know. I just, I did not have a good time watching this movie. I I mean, I'm not the biggest slasher film uh, fan in the first place. So I didn't really go in with the, I'm going to be super psyched about this movie, but I don't know. I just, I did not have a good time every little thing that they were like, Oh, do you remember this from the original movie? It just, it, it just grinded on me instead of making me feel nostalgic for it. If that makes any sense. 
No, I think it definitely makes sense. I mean, I I feel like that was kind of a similar situation with like the Force Awakens, and there was obviously a very uh, you know diverse reaction to that. There was a lot of people that I think felt the exact same way, and I, I imagine it would be the same with this. Like I I do think that there probably are people that um, you know to a certain extent are huge fans of the franchise, which are probably also upset that they kind of eradicated the canon of the Halloween movies. Uh, Cause that is kind of a weird thing to like sit there and be like, okay, well we're going to go back and make kind of like a direct sequel to this movie, like 40 years later. And after we've done all these other films, um, I don't know, I guess it kind of almost, and, and I haven't seen it. So I'm just kind of going on a limb here, but it almost kind of sounds like they were just kind of like trying to do or, or rather bank very heavily on, like you said, like nostalgia of the original movies and kind of, um, uh, fanfare, you know what I mean? To really, you know, fan service almost to, to kind of drive people to it. And it sounds like it just didn't really work for you very well. It, no, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I actually, that's the same way I felt about the, the Force Awakens when that came out. It, it just felt way too Force nostalgic for me. Uh, I do want to, I'm going to spoil a little tiny bit of it f- for you. I hope you don't mind. No, not at but, all. In the original Star, uh, Halloween, not Star Wars, in the original Halloween, um, Michael Myers, I feel, makes a a choice, a, a straight-up choice not to kill children. Like a conscious choice. That's the word I was looking for. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, goes towards building that character and the psyche of him and the, the way where what his mind thinks to me uh, we won't get into that anyways he he makes this choice of not to kill children one of the first victims that he ki- he kills in this new movie after the bus that's transporting him to his new prison uh is a chi- is a is a child like i mean i know he's supposed he's probably like 15 actually he seemed a little younger so maybe 13 uh which yeah michael myers kills teenagers but it's more like 18 year old teenagers but he kills this 13 year old Mm -hmm. and he does it on purpose it's not like an accident or anything he 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 chooses to kill this 13 year old so at at that point i'm already like well that seems wrong it doesn't seem like it's in the character that we saw in the first movie but okay so then in one of the shots, just about 20 minutes later, one of the shots, and it's a big deal that that he makes this other this, this choice that I'm about to talk about because like, there's been people writing about it over and over. But uh, they're, in one of the shots that they're doing that's recreating everything you saw from the first movie, he goes into this house. He uh, grabs a hammer from a garage, uh, walks into the house, uh, you know, cracks open the skull of a, a lady in in the house and then grabs the butcher knife off the counter. And then you hear a baby crying in a bassinet. He walks straight over to the bassinet and he looks at the he looks at the baby. We don't see the baby, but he looks into the bassinet and he sees the baby and he chooses not to ch- kill the baby and walks out the house. So, my problem here is and trust me, I don't ever want to see a baby get killed. I don't want it. I don't want to see that happen in in a movie ever. Like I've seen movies where they've done it, and I just it, it immediately turns me out of the movie. And I know that's just my opinion. I feel like a lot of people have the same opinion, but you know, movies are movies, art is art, whatever you want to do. Uh, 
to me, the problem is in the story, you've already made it so that he decides to kill children. Why does he not decide to kill this baby that's obviously annoying him to the point that he had to go and look at it? So either he is a force of evil or he's not. And you can't have it both ways. So you decided as the movie, uh, the filmmaker, to put a baby in the scene, he should have killed that baby. I don't want to see that. I want to I make that clear. To me, you should never should have put the baby in the scene. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would have to agree with you. I don't particularly uh, want to see that in a movie either, uh, but that does sound like it has some kind of inconsistencies with what they were doing. Right. So that's and that's the, my my problem. That is just my problem with one of my problems with that movie, and uh, I just was not, I did not enjoy it. So I wanted to bring that up. However, the following week, I don't know if it was the following week or not, but I feel like it was the following week. I went and saw Bohemian Rhapsody, which I feel like has been getting a lot of hype up until this point, uh, until it came out. Like every trailer that came out, people just seemed super super psyched about it the way that they made rami malik look you know really captures the way that freddie mercury looked um i went and saw the movie i enjoyed the hell out of it like i would say the movie itself the story itself is pretty surface it's pretty like doesn't really dive deep into the group or anything like that or even freddie mercury's uh, past or uh, his uh, his controversies and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but when you get to the music part of the of the movie, it's phenomenal. Like the the pure entertainment performance showmanship. Like when you show how the band worked together, how they how they quabbled and uh, but still came back, and how they you know. They they really shouldn't have worked like the, the the these are four almost completely different type of musicians and they came together and the music was just phenomenal like I mean I don't think I know too many people that don't at least have one song of Queens that they just really love let alone a lot of their songs so you know when they were able to create something that was so uh transcending i think they were able to portray that on the screen and it was cool it was i thought it was really cool and there's even a line in the movie because i mean i don't it's not really i mean it's obviously not a spoiler it's it's a biopic it's 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 happened it's real life it's history (laughs) yeah they're a little late for spoilers i would say freddie mercury you know unfortunately passed away due to aids and uh you know because of his lifestyle he he contracted it at a young age and stuff like that uh, when he tells the rest of his band, like, hey, I, 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 I am going to die. This is going to happen. He also says, look, it doesn't matter. Don't, we don't need to dwell on that. We don't need to dwell on that part of it. We're, we're going to make music. We're going to do this. And it, and that's what this is about. And that's literally, you know, that's kind of what the movie's about too. It's like, we could have gotten the movie where it's all about Freddie Mercury dying and, you know, his, his lifestyle and stuff like that. But that's not what he would have wanted. That's not what the band wanted. And it's about the music, which was I thought was kind of cool. It was kind of very refreshing. Um, I thought 
One thing I thought was R- Rami Malek. I honestly don't know much about Freddie Mercury and his uh, personal life. I mean, other than you know dying and and uh, and and stuff like that. But I don't know how he acted when he wasn't on stage. And the thing mm-hmm. about Rami Malek, every time I see him in anything, he usually is pretty. Sorry, excuse me. He's usually pretty awkward, and the way that he portrays Freddie Mercury when he at least when he's not on stage is pretty awkward. So I was like, I don't know if Freddie Mercury is really awkward, but I know Robbie Malik made him awkward. <laughs> and it's just, I just kind of <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um I forget what the name of the actor who played um the bass player in the band uh he but he is the kid that was in Oh, Jurassic Park. Uh, he was the the young boy in Jurassic Park, the one that you know uh, was fa- in, uh, in, infatuated with uh, dinosaurs. So it was cool to see him again, and I thought he did great. Like he has these great like little facial uh, expressions whenever, whenever, whenever Freddie's talking, or whenever the rest of the band is kind of being like you, you, you're just the bass player kind of thing. Oh my gosh, uh, Timmy. He 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 played Timmy in Jurassic Park, right? The one that gets electrocuted on the fence. Yes, Is that the one you're talking yes, about? exactly. God, yeah, I can't remember that guy's name. But yeah, I like the whole time I'm sitting there in the movie, or while I'm watching the movie, I'm trying to place who he is. I'm trying to place his face, and uh, it wasn't until afterwards when I looked it up, and I was like, oh my god, that that is the same guy. So that was. That was pretty cool. Uh, I would say the the uh, other it Joseph uh, Mazzello. Yes, yes, Joe Joe Mazzello. Uh, he played John Deacon. Most of the other main actors I didn't recognize, but there was a lot of side characters I recognized, like uh, Aiden Gillen, who that mostly most known for being Littlefinger in uh, Game of Thrones. He plays the band's uh, first manager. Um. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Tom Hollander uh, played uh, their their the band's lawyer. Uh, lawyer, I should say. Sorry. And then later on, manager Mike Myers has a great cameo. He plays the uh, I want to say the owner of the label that put out their first record. And when the band is pitching to him, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> He's like, no, you guys should do a more poppy song, something that you know uh, the kids will like. Like, kids are not going to be listening to Bohemian Rhapsody in their cars, banging their heads to it. It's just not going to happen. And I mean, I just burst out laughing in the middle of the theater because you know Mike Myers, Wayne's World, Bohemian Rhapsody, right there in the car, banging his head to it. Like that. I mean, obviously that's what they were going for with that joke, and I I, I bought it hook, line, and sinker because. <laughs> I uh like literally that would probably be my first exposure to Queen was watching that movie and having that epic scene that is, you know, very widely known uh of him and Gar or yeah, Wayne and Garth and, and the other two members of the show or three members of the show just, you know, lip syncing to that song in their in the car. 
So does it play out like does it feel almost more like a like a musical than like a biopic? You know, it doesn't. I, so for me, like I, there's obviously there's very there's there are musical numbers throughout the whole thing. I mean, but not musical numbers. It's 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 parts where they're singing on stage, they're performing on stage. A musical to me is when cast members sing a song and still progress the story like um plot wise the the lyrics to the song progress the story plot wise so it's not a musical i i I don't consider it a musical um to me it's more it's it's a it's a straight up biopic it just happens to be about music it's the same with like uh get on up about james brown or Hmm. walk the line with uh uh johnny cash it's you get to see the musical performance because that's part of their lives. You know, that's the that's a big part of the the story of their lives. So, I didn't see it as a musical. I have heard other people call it a musical, though. Well, the only reason that I was asking that is because you were kind of saying like, "Hey, it doesn't really focus on like the nuances of their life." Where like I feel, I feel that Walk the Line does kind of focus a little bit more. Like you do, you do get those performances, but you also get a pretty healthy dose of Johnny Cash's life and, you know, his drug addiction and, you know, him um, being in love and getting married. And then, you know, that, that sort of thing. So I, I don't know, I guess that's kind of why I was asking. I'm not saying you, you don't get that because I haven't seen it, but I, that I guess was my question. No, I think you're absolutely right. Johnny Cash, or I'm sorry, walk the line definitely does more in um, ex- exposing you to Johnny's life behind uh, the music and 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 past the the stage. And don't get me wrong, I think that uh, Bohemian Rhapsody does that a little bit with uh, Freddie Mercury. I mean, it definitely focuses on Freddie uh, and not and not really on the rest of the band. But I think they decided to focus more on just the music and how the the songs came together more than anything else. Oh, okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, I enjoyed it. I really, I really did. I thought it was interesting that it still says directed by Brian Singer on the movie, which I don't know if you know this, but you know, like he got fired from the movie. I, I wouldn't say very early on. It was, it was quite into the production. Uh, but to the point that when they brought in the next director, which I really should remember who it is, um, they uh, had to do a lot of reshoots. And I would have thought that the DGA might have had something to say about that, but maybe the DGA is what made them keep his name on there. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's really hard to say. I mean, it could have been that. It could have been something to do with the contract. I mean, who knows? I mean, any number of things that... uh... Well, it could even have been, you know, who knows? Maybe the other person that took it over is like, hey, I don't want my name on this, you know? Like, I mean, that's... Yeah. I don't know why. Like, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, like, that seems like it's a pretty big movie, you know? It seems like something you probably would, but I don't know. It's uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, could be anything. It, it really could. Um, I, I, I do just... I mean, I just have to say, I, I really did enjoy the movie. I hope that you get a chance to go see it when uh when you get a chance or when yeah when you get a free moment 
Yeah, it's definitely on my list. I really want to watch that. I really want to watch uh, First Man, which I've I've heard is just phenomenal, and and IMAX, and so I mean, there's a number of movies that I really want to see. It's just a matter of finding the time to go watch them. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's, that's completely understandable. It's 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 a lo- it takes a it's. I mean, ten minutes or not ten minutes. <laughs> At the at the least two hours out of your day is a lot of time when you're when you're struggling four times. So it's completely understandable. So uh, all right, we did just pass up uh, Halloween. So I want to get your opinion on some horror movies. What would you say your top two horror movies of all time? Ooh, oh my god. Um... Yeah, yeah, that's a. I want. I want to throw this out here. That's a pretty. When uh, the two of us, when we first met, we were working at Blockbuster. Uh, I don't know if our listeners know that piece of history or not, but yeah, we worked at we worked at Blockbuster, and I think it's 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 right to bring up the fact that you can if when you worked at a movie rental place like that, you could te- you could see trends in movies, and I would say one of the biggest trends that I would get working behind the counter at Blockbuster is uh, people would come up and be like, what is a good scary movie? Like people constantly want to be scared. They want that rush. They want that heartbeat. They want that, that feeling that they had when they were a kid. And, uh, you know, they were in a, in a dark room watching a scary movie for the first time. And I think, uh, Blockbuster, I thought, did a great job of trying to capitalize on that because they started up their own. They had their own uh, movie production like department, which literally only made horror movies, like B straight to video horror movies. Do you remember what the name of that like, that uh, company was? Was, uh, it like, was it DEJ? I feel like it might have been DEJ. Yeah, something like that. That sounds about. But right. I mean, they made like um. Oh man, I feel like it was uh I don't know if they made this one or not, but I remember like silly titles like Ginger Dead Man and uh Monsterd, which was like basically the Golgothan from like Dogma, you know, it was basically just like the poop monster like running around killing people and stuff, you know. Yeah, no, exactly. And and that's those movies were straight up ridiculous, but they were always rented out. People would always, will always, almost always give a horror movie a chance. Like, that's how I feel. Like they are just looking for. No, that. I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right because it it's pretty remarkable. Like, I it, it it's almost like people will forgive like horror films for being bad, right? Like, like horror films have the tendency that if they're bad, they just become like graphic comedies and uh, you know it's like an escalator that breaks down it's like maybe mildly inconvenient but you can still get to where you're going and so (laughs) like horror films just kind of innately seem to traditionally at least do well no matter the quality or caliber or even what time of the year they're released i mean like they they pretty much can come out all year long and still do financially pretty well in most instances. Uh, oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, we I think people tend to think that oh, Halloween's coming around, there's going to be some great horror movies out, you know, stuff like that or there's going to be horror movies coming around that time, but if you look at it, horror movies are released all throughout the year. And 
they they don't use they use any holiday as an excuse. You could have Thanksgiving. You can have you know <laughs> April Fool's Day. You could have. I imagine there's some Easter Bunny horror movie out there that I don't even know about. And I also feel like it's <laughs> it's a it's a it's almost a badge of honor. Like people that love horror movies, no matter what, they'll watch those terrible D horror movies just so that they can. Even though they go through twenty of them, if they find the one that's actually kind of good or really good, they can be like, "Hey, you need to watch this because it's actually really good." And and why not? I mean, I feel the same way if I find like some action movie that's actually really good, that's straight straight up, uh, you know, D movie or uh, or a drama. I mean, I guess I haven't find too many dramas that are like that. I think I feel like dramas always get the 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 upper hand the benefit of the doubt i guess yeah with dramas right yeah dramas dramas do but i feel like i mean action movies also do that a lot sci-fi movies oh man they're they're almost as bad as as horror movies because i mean they're just right there on that line you have those you know those companies that make like transmorphers or grim's avengers like kind of things mm-hmm. like you're literally just or what was it, the Atlantic Rim? You know, like Pacific Rim comes out and they make Atlantic Rim. It's like just cheesy sci-fi for for the fact that like it's even to the point that Sci-Fi Channel doesn't play that cheesy a sci-fi like kind of thing. But that's neither here nor right. there. Horror movies. What I mean, what would you, I gave you a little bit of time? What what would you say is two 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 of your favorite horror movies of all time? All right, so. Um there's really a lot. I mean, now that I like, and it's funny because like, we're not really, like you said, you and I are not traditionally the biggest fans of like horror films, but like, I'm just sitting here kind of like running through like my mind, you know? And I remember watching the ring when it came here, you know, and not, not the Japanese version or the, um, I don't, I don't know if that actually was Japanese. Yeah. Ring was Japanese. So it or ring you. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, Ringu. So, I mean, like, I'm not saying that one is my favorite, but, like, that is a really good one. But I think um, I think my two favorite ones of all time, and it's really, really difficult because there is a there is another one that I'll, I'll mention as, like, an honorary, you know, runner-up or whatever. But uh, I think number one is The Shining. Okay. Um, I think that movie is just absolutely phenomenal. And, of course, it's uh, Stanley Kubrick, which, I mean, pretty much nobody made – or makes movies like uh, Kubrick did. And uh, number two uh, would probably be uh, Audition uh, by Takashi Mike. And then um, my honorable mention, uh, I think you might really like this too, uh, was Frailty. Oh, man. I love that movie. I wouldn't consider it a horror movie, though. Really? You don't consider no, it a horror I movie? No, I mean, I would... I would... I would consider it more a a thriller, I guess. I mean, I know there's a hmm. there's a thin line between thriller and horror, but yeah, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't consider it a horror movie. But it's funny that you bring that up because that movie stars uh, Matthew McConaughey, who got his start in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. You know, and there that, you go. that's another thing about horror movies. They they make so many of them, and they they hire these you know fresh faces of you know young. Uh, you know, actors and actresses, you never know who's going to hit. And 
you know, all of a sudden you have, uh, you know, Kevin Bacon in the original Friday the 13th or Johnny Depp in the original uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, kind of thing. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, I think that's another thing. Also, Audition. Audition, uh, I've, I'll admit, I've only seen probably a quarter of that movie, never sat through the whole thing. I think that was the start of like that whole, well, not start of, but like the the beginning of a huge movement for body horror. I, I don't know if you can, I, I don't know if you agree with me on that or not, but after that movie, I really felt like there were a lot of body horror movies like, uh, you know, Human Centipede and uh, what's the, um, Hostel, like those kind of movies. Um, and then <laughs> I want you to really brace yourself right now. Like, make sure that you have your seatbelt on in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Okay. I have never seen The Shining. What? <laughs> I mean, I've seen parts of it. I've seen clips of it. I've seen uh, parodies of it. I've never sat down and watched The Shining. I saw the made-for-TV version with uh, Steven Weber, but I have never seen the Stanley Kubrick, Jack Nicholson, Shining. Well, you should definitely watch it. Oh, do you do you think that I would appreciate that movie? I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't, I don't know that you would necessarily appreciate it. Um, It's funny because there's a lot of movies that obviously we do agree upon, but I think we also have completely different uh, taste uh, in other areas as well, right? But um, I don't know. I feel like you should watch it though, just because it is a very like iconic movie. You know what I mean? It's like one of those that I feel like should be in your your wheelhouse of like movies that you've at least seen you know what i mean like there's there's like innately a handful well maybe not even a handful there's a lot at this point because we've been making movies for over 100 years now so there's obviously a crap ton of movies but like it's just one of those like classic films at this point where i just genuinely feel like everyone should should watch it you know no i i get you and i i definitely feel like it's a a hole in my filmology that i i should i should have seen it by this point um and i don't know why i really haven't uh i mean i know there's i know i'm not the and this is more blasphemy especially from a person who says he loves film <laughs> i'm not the biggest stanley kubrick fan fan just because no. i yeah i know i know you're killing the rain for it i know i just i don't i don't appreciate him the way that uh, you know, I, I guess fi- real film people uh, appreciate him. You know, I don't. I don't. Uh, I'll, I'll interject there. I don't think you're being fair with yourself there. To be honest, to to me, like I I think what it is is that I think that there are people that I I don't know. I think it's more like a Stanley Kubrick is really more of like, in my opinion, like an acquired taste, right? Like. Spielberg, like, obviously, I would say the two of them are are on a, a playing field together, right? Like, they're both iconic filmmakers. But there is innately something about the way that Spielberg makes and tells the story that, you know, almost everyone can get behind. You right. know what I mean? Um, and that doesn't make his movies better. It doesn't make his movies worse. Like, I'm not, I'm not quantifying, like, a you know, right or wrong or whatever you want to call it here. 
but I just think like that, the his movies are movies that, you know, basically everyone can get behind for a multitude of different reasons. Uh, I feel like when you get to Kubrick though, like there's, there's very much like an acquired taste to his films. Um, and, and I guess the person that I could kind of compare that to the most would also be like David Lynch. Right. Like there are people that love fanatically love David Lynch. And then there are people that just are, are like, you know, I don't get it or I don't like it. Um, and again, it doesn't make that right or wrong because that's the beauty and the subjectivity of art. Um, but I really like I can understand when you're when you say that, you know what I mean? You're like, oh, well, I'm not the biggest fan of his. And like I can I can totally although I am fanatical in his work and I love his work. Um, I, I don't know that I would say that so much about the process in which he used because it sounds like he was kind of a real a-hole sometimes. <laughs> that's what it sounds um, like. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean his movies like to me at least are all masterfully crafted and um again that doesn't make it better or worse than any other movie but i definitely think like those films are are very much an acquired taste and it almost feels like the earlier in your life that you get like subjected to a Kubrick movie for the lack of a better word like the more like admiration for the films that you have that he made but I totally get what you mean. Like, they're definitely not movies, like, for everyone, you know? Yeah. And 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 I, don't get me wrong. I like Full Metal Jacket, and I like Clockwork Orange. But I feel like those, those two, maybe not Clockwork Orange so much, but I feel like those two movies are the most commercial of his movies. Like... Like the, I guess it's I guess that it just goes to like uh, the, the the movies that I understand. I I don't understand two thousand one. I don't understand. Uh, I I've never like I said never seen The Shining. Um, well, and and to be fair though, like um, you know I've I've kind of read and studied a little bit about two thousand one, uh, and it came out and and people hated it. I mean, like people got up and left the theater before the like initial screening of it like was ever really done. And, you know, the few people that did stay were like, hey, like he crafted a science fiction masterpiece that less than one percent of people are really going to enjoy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and it's true. Like it's it's it is a it is a difficult movie to get through. Like and and I would say it's even more difficult for uh, younger the the younger generation of, of film fans or, or anybody that's watching movies because like our consumption of, of film has changed so much that it, it's going to be, you know, imagine if it was difficult, like in the, the seventies when it came out, you know, how difficult it's going to be for people to, to really sit down and, and watch it now. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I could talk about that movie for way longer, but we'll move on just because we got a bunch <laughs> of other stuff to, to get to, but yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, fair enough. So I would have to say my two favorite horror movies, um, would are are surprisingly enough pretty recent in movie history. Uh Cabin in the Woods, probably my number one horror horror movie. Like I just love the meta-ness of that movie. I love the idea of it. Uh I like that it throws in stuff like uh the Japanese horror movies like Ring and uh The Grudge where you know the Japanese are trying to stop the apocalypse with their type of horror movies while American the Americans are trying to stop the apocalypse with their type of horror movies. 
and then, you know, you have the comedic stylings of uh, Bradley Whitford and why can't I think of the other gentleman's name? Uh, man, he's he's such a great actor, too. He's in The Shape of Water. He's in uh, Let the Right One In. Uh, or I guess he's in Let Me In. I forget which one's the American version. Anyways, uh, I think I think that movie's great. My other one would be uh, Pandorum. I thought that was a great sci-fi horror movie. I don't. I would you consider that a, a horror movie? I, I mean, I kind I do. Um, I mean, I constituted frailty as one, so <laughs> I I'm gonna say yes. I, I I don't think it's like a slasher or anything like that, but I'd say it absolutely is a horror film. Okay, yeah, I I like that one. I but that might be because of the sci-fi element of it. Like it it really plays up the that part of it for me. I mean, it's kind of a creature film. It just the creatures end up being mutated humans because of evolution and shit. But uh, it's it's kind of a it's a kind of a, a, a monster movie. And then my yeah yeah it's a creature it's a creature movie even even if it is like a a mutated creature yeah yeah or a mutated human creature I guess technically. So uh, and then my honorable mention because I don't know if you consider this to be a horror movie or not, but Cube. Like, I remember watching that for the first time and being like, this is so interesting. Like, the idea of it, the just dropping you right in the, in, in the thick of it. Like, there's no backstory to these characters, even though they try and give you a little bit of backstory. But, like, that's not what's important. It's about this place, this device that's being used for who knows what. Are people actually watching it? Are they studying the people? Are they, you know, are they... Uh, trying to figure out how long it takes for someone to figure out the whole thing or not or is it just like one of them says it's like it's just a thing that they have to keep using because they built it like it was built a lot of money was spent on it so it has to be used no one cares what the hell happens in there they just drop people in there at random and i feel like that movie was kind of like the gateway to like saw you're you're absolutely right i think so too which then i mean is that considered a horror movie or are those considered thrillers i mean there's, de- I mean, it's see, I don't, I don't constitute it really as a thriller because to me, when I think of a thriller, I think of more of like a like psychological profiling of of like pretty much one character, right? Um, the cube is kind of uh, an ensemble cast in a way, like it it focuses, if I remember correctly, on like six or seven different people. And like their their personalities are all pretty widely uh, diversified, right? Because like that's the whole thing behind it is like there's not this explanation of like oh well we're all in here because we're the same type of person. Like they're all coming from very big different backgrounds, and their their uh, personality types are all you know pretty pretty diverse, right? Right. Um, so like I I definitely would say that that's a horror film. Whereas like for example identity i would say is more of a thriller because it although it's mm. doing a, a kind of a collection of of characters it's a collection of characters that exist within the one character's mind right the one person's uh, psyche right so to me i don't know that to me that's kind of how i differentiate like the whole like thriller uh i i mean i guess technically it still has thriller elements and you probably could uh, constituted as a thriller. I mean, you could make the argument that it's mystery or sci-fi. Um, 
you could probably make some degree of an argument for it to be a drama. Uh, but I, I would, I would say that uh, I would say it's definitely a horror film as well. So let me ask you this. All, I think all film kind of goes cyclically uh, or in cycles. Yeah. But I think horror films do it more than most. And I think mm-hmm. that's just because of like what we stated earlier, that they make so many of them that it tends to happen. Sure. So when one of them hits big, all the other studios start to make movies that are very similar. So late 70s, early 80s, I think you have the slasher films. You know, uh, Halloween does well, you get Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th does well, you get Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. Um, get Go on to the 90s, uh, Scream does well. You know, Scream does well, then you get... Uh, I know what you did last summer, and whatever else that came out that was similar to that. You know, that, those type of slasher films. Uh, 2000s come around, you get the the ring type movies. Uh, so you got the ring, the grudge, whatever else that came out that was similar to that. I think as of uh, well, okay, then you had Paranormal Activity, and then you get like uh, like movies like The Babadook and stuff like that. What do you think will be the next big thing to hit again? Like, do you feel like with the success of Halloween, do you feel like they're going to come back around to slasher films again? Do you think that uh, we're going to get supernatural stuff again? Do you think um, we'll get the Saw type movies again? Like, what 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 do you feel trend wise for horror movies? Is it going to be the next big thing? Well, it's kind of a it's kind of funny in in a, in a sense because traditionally it it has really been that way. Um, I think what's actually going to happen, though, is I think that within the next year to maybe two or three years, um, the trend is going to actually be breaking that. Um, and, I, and the reason that I say that is because remakes and, and all that sort of thing, you know, revitalizations have really become at the forefront of what Hollywood is doing if it's not a comic book movie, right? Right. And so I think what we're going to start to see instead of like, you know, and and it's funny because like horror films traditionally have been very moved by the culture of the times, you know, like you go back to where you had like um, um, the blob and, you know, gigantic ants and things like that, where it was all like a, like a part of like the, you know, nuclear Holocaust and like radioactive uh, things. And, you know, then you get a little bit later down the road and you have a lot of these like, um, well, you religious have this, type horror films and stuff, you know. Yeah, I was gonna say like the What's you that? know the '70s happen and the 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 resurgence or the the free love movement goes around. So then you have movies where they're they're preaching, look, if you have premarital sex, if you drink, you you do drugs, you're gonna die, kind of thing. Like it's you're you're absolutely right. The 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 trends of the time definitely influence uh, horror movies in a big way. Uh, I mean, as of now. Social media is a thing. You get movies like Unfriended, mm-hmm. and you know that's you get. I mean, it's it's all it's all. It you're you're absolutely right. I'm just agreeing with you. But you were gonna, yeah. Uh, no, I was just saying. I think that we've come to a point in time, though, to where 
like there is just so many different like outlooks and walks of life and then you look at the state of hollywood and the movies that they're making and i don't really think we're gonna see a wave of just one you know specific type of horror film like we had had what like we really predominantly have seen in in the past from horror film i think we're gonna see a lot of of you know, remakes, a lot of sequels, a lot of uh, resurgence from old concepts and things like that. And I think it's going to actually end up just being a pretty wide spectrum for the next couple of years as to uh, what we're going to get, you know? Yeah, because I really feel like the only things that we're going to be seeing in theaters are uh, comic book movies and horror movies. <laughs> Uh, it's just yeah, it it really does feel that way because I feel like horror movies you can make on a very low budget and people like we were saying earlier people were going to go see them and then you have the comic book movies which you make on a very large budget and people tend to go see those too for the most part yeah yeah and then I mean like you you know you think about that and uh, like in terms of the the remakes and stuff I mean like my God like how many remakes are we going to get you know and Hey, um, and now and now we're not just uh, we're not even like limited to straight up reboots anymore. As Halloween showed, you know they're gonna make movies that are direct sequels to the originals, and then wipe out the rest of the older sequels. Because RoboCop is gonna be doing the same thing. Uh, they are going to be making a a new RoboCop movie that will be a direct sequel to the original RoboCop, which will wipe out the other RoboCop movies that in the franchise. What? Yep. Even the second RoboCop movie? E even the second RoboCop movie. Wow, that's bizarre. Very. So. Well, and and we're even kind yeah. of getting a comic book horror film cuz they've they've been talking a lot about uh rebooting Spawn and you know, Todd McFarlane has hinted pretty heavily that he doesn't want it to really be an action movie. He wants it to be a very dark uh horror s type of movie. So, yeah, I don't, it, it is I, I think you're right. I think, you know, from the, the major uh, players in Hollywood, we're predominantly going to be getting uh, horror films and comic book movies and dramas will move more and more into uh, indie and art house. Well, not just, I mean, streaming too. I feel like that's going to be the yeah, the big place true. for, yeah, VOD streaming. The, I mean, those, the, the romantic comedy and the drama, the straight up drama, unless it's a biopic is going to go, is going to go towards those things. Like biopics make it into theaters too, because people love to go see, people love to see their history on the big screen, even if it's not like a straight up, you know, uh, uh, uh faithful, thank you, faithful, uh, uh, adaptation of history. So, mm -hmm. all right. If anybody has an opinion on any of the things that we talked about today, we would love to hear from you. I am on Twitter as at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. Richard's also on Twitter as... At Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on, on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. And GeekEliteRadio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio network. Uh, Richard can also be found on his Twitch channel. Why don't you go ahead and give that information out? Yeah, so that's going to be twitch.tv slash Rykoen and the number one. So R-I-C-O-W-N and the number one. And uh, what 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 is it that you're currently playing with your Twitch family? 
Um, I've been playing uh, Ark lately, just because uh, it's. I've been really, really busy with work. It's it's kind of our our busiest season, and uh, you know, this past Tuesday was kind of what we call our Black Friday. It's where like the largest project that we rent gear for uh, goes out, and uh, so yeah, I'm just kind of trying to play something that's a little bit more relaxed and uh, and chill, and just kind of uh, veg out and hang out with uh, with everybody. So yeah, it's been a really good time. And any big games on the horizon? Well, you know, I, I really do want to get into, uh, I, I feel like this is everybody in the world right now, but uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, like I really <laughs> want to get into that. I've seen a few videos and things like that of just some crazy stuff that's gone down and it just absolutely looks hysterical and uh, amazing. And I really do want to check that out. But uh, I, I got I got some other games and stuff I want to get through before I lose the rest of my life to being a cowboy in the Wild West. So uh, I'll have to get those done before I could do that. Cool. All right. So, people, go check out his Twitch stream and make sure to uh, subscribe. So, uh, if uh, you have nothing else out, nothing else, Richard. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm. I think we're pretty good for this week. Okay. Uh, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geekly Radio Network, saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.